0: attention attention please the camp ojibla history podcast is on the air Hello and welcome to the Campo Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Campo Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Campo Ojibwa for boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week on the podcast, Tom Dorsch. Tom Dorsch, if you're not familiar with that name, uh, Tom was not at camp for very long, but uh, he had a very memorable impact. Uh, any of the guys who were there during Tom's years will certainly uh, remember his time at Camp Ojibwa. He was an interesting character. You're going to hear all about that. Uh, we get into it. Before we get to that, a couple of housekeeping things. First of all, OJ90, I mean, I'm, you know I've told you about it, but What's different now? Tickets are on sale. So head over to OJ90.com. You can buy your tickets there. You can see the RSVP list there. If you want, you can book your hotel room there. Uh, We have a discounted block of rooms at the Weston, so you can go ahead and book that directly through the site. Also, as a special bonus, everyone who purchases their ticket in February, their names are going to go into a hat. And we're going to pull 10 names from that hat, and those 10 people are going to get two free nights to stay at Camp Ojibwa. So as you as you know very well, there's a very tiny group of people who are allowed to stay at camp during the camp season. In general, it's forbidden to stay actually at camp. Well, that's going to change. These guys, whoever get drawn for the hat, are going to get a chance to come up, spend the weekend at Camp Ojibwe free of charge, and have a great time. So buy your tickets in February, get it done, and you'll be on that list. Okay. Without further ado, let's get down to it. Here we go. Tom Dorsch on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast.
1: My name is Tom Dorsch, and I was a a wilderness guide at Camp Ojibwa probably around 1991 through 95.
0: Nice. And how did you end up at Ojibwa?
1: Uh, Actually, I was running an outdoor survival school, and I was uh, uh, looking for um, camps in Wisconsin because I was based out of Wisconsin. I was looking for camps that might need those kind of services. Like during the summer, um, during the regular year, let's say in the, in the spring and in the fall, I did a lot of uh, 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 continuing education classes with community colleges up on my mm. property. But in the summer, when everyone takes off, uh, then I was looking for uh, uh, camps that might need that kind of uh, program for them the sure. Camp and I called up uh, Camp Ojibwe. I spoke to Denny, and <laughs> and the visionary that he is, I mean this came easy. I didn't have to, uh, you know, keep on calling, racing. Yeah. He said, Yeah, sure, come on over. So we had a talk, and next thing you know, he says, When when can you start? And I think it was that weekend. Wow. And he said, All right, come on in, and uh, um, we want you to run some wilderness classes for you know the kids. Nice. So that started out with. Um, Uh, some canoe trips. Uh, we go up to um, uh, Upper Michigan. Uh, We did uh, uh, a number of uh, uh, canoe trips up there and some um, overnights out in the woods. Uh, Sylvania is a place we went a lot. And what was unique about what I did is that it gave a lot of the kids who Perhaps weren't the best at sports. Sure. It gave them another outlet, because the wilderness is the great common denominator. The, you know, <laughs> It doesn't matter. I mean, how talented or gifted you are, as far as throwing a ball. Right. You know, it's how you can think on your feet, and if you have the discipline to to gut it out, you know, throughout a couple of days in the rain or the, or the or the fog or whatever.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, just for a little background for those who are listening. Tell us a little bit about you before that. How did, how, did, how did this come to be your life? Or I guess a little bit about what your what your background is.
1: Okay. Well, I, uh, after high school, I joined the Marine Corps at 17. I had to get permission from my parents to do that. Wow. And that came with uh, an agreement with my father. Okay, I'll let you go in, but when you get out, you just do one tour, and when you're done with your tour, you go to college. And I did that on the GI Bill. And following the GI Bill, uh, uh, college and everything, I uh, then started applying for different agencies in the federal government. Hmm. And it wasn't until I landed a job in Africa, I was doing security work in Sudan, uh, Khartoum, Sudan, wow. where I started dealing with the embassy and then... Uh, Next thing I know, uh, they offered me a position as an agent with the diplomatic security service. So I did that for four years and um uh five years actually, and uh uh I accepted these positions in uh let's say the um not not so popular places <laughs> because it, it was an adventure. And, sure, uh, and they're going to give me all this training. You want to go ahead and you want to use it when, instead of sitting there, you know, eating crepes in Paris is, <laughs> and Paris. And besides, what I learned is that the the nicer the posting that you accept, the more visits you're going to get from uh, oh. the guys back in Maine State. <laughs> sure, of course. So <laughs> if, if you pick some out-of-the-way, uh, you know, uh, third-world... Uh, uh, place where there's a lot of shooting going on. They tend not to visit you and bother you too much. <laughs> they just give you a phone call once a week. Everything all right? Yeah, yeah send money <laughs> and bullets. That makes uh, a lot of
0: sense. So,
1: so I always had uh, the idea that I want to run my own business and, and what business I wanted to run. Hmm. is something that I love to do, and that's the outdoors. And I soon realized after a number of tours in in high-threat environments, I said, you know, I don't know how much more of these I have in me, and if I'm going to start a business in the outdoors, I don't want to do this when I'm retired, Hmm. and my knees are bad, my back is bad. I want to do this as a young man who's in shape, who can go ahead and and take people out into the woods. So I had a decision, okay, do I stay with the government, or do I... Uh, start my business, which is the wilderness education, and uh, as a former Boy Scout and just someone who studied the outdoors and a, as a hunter, that's how I acquired my information. But basically, all self-taught, okay. except stuff I learned in in, in the Marine Corps, uh, like tracking with uh, our guides in the Philippines when we went on patrol. Oh, wow. uh, with the, against the New People's Army, we had these Negrito—that's Aboriginal Filipinos—who would teach us jungle survival and tracking. Oh wow! And it was pretty amazing yeah. stuff. You could tell the difference between a guy carrying a machine gun and a regular rifle just by his <laughs> footprint. Wow. And that's, that's when amazing. I was hooked. I said, "This is what I really want to do." I think wow. this is something that people in the civilian world would enjoy. You know, learning more about survival in in the woods wow. and how to take care of himself and and, uh, and take care of their kids. Teach, them their, teach their kids, more yeah, importantly. Sure. that Don't be yeah. so scared. I mean, here's how you get water. Here's how you, you can build a shelter. And uh, that way it's not as imposing. So following um, uh, my stint with the government, I then started Pathfinder Wilderness Adventure School and that was in Wisconsin, and that's when I made all kinds of inroads to community colleges who'd come up for weekends, and then I found Denny, who had me come up, not just one time. It started out like I only came up for a couple weekends or a couple mm-hmm. uh, for a couple days, I think, the first year, and then the next year, he offered me pretty much full time, come on up, stay at camp the whole summer, nice. and uh, if I needed to, I could go back and run a few classes Mm. on weekends back in, in, in my place, yeah. which was outside the Dells. So that went on for a few years. I had an absolute ball uh, uh, the whole time meeting so many different people. And that perhaps is the hallmark of Camp Ojibwa, is the eclectic nature of the staff mm. of the people who are there. And this is where uh, you've got to hand it to Denny for his selection of people. I mean, he didn't just get a a bunch of North Shore, you know, uh, gym coaches to come on up.
0: Right, that's really well
1: put. He got people from all over the world to expose these kids to people from all over the world, different cultures. In fact, I bonded with a young guy named Glenn Crawford from Belize. Sure. Who's the number one bird guide in Belize, and and Glenn and I uh, ran a lot of the wilderness expeditions and forays for Campo Ojibwa. Wow. And so we got to be good friends to the point where I even went down to Belize to visit him. And we went out and we lived off the land for uh, (laughs) like 10 days in the Belize jungle. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, because we were thinking about setting up a a class out there. Yeah. So this went on with Campo Ojibwa for a while, and I believe it wasn't until 1996, uh, that um, I did part with Camp Ojibwa because I uh, uh, landed some contract jobs working for Diplomatic Security Service as a contractor. Mm. And this took me to places like Haiti and Bosnia. And then when I got out of that back in, the, in 98, um, I then relocated to uh, uh, Colorado. Mm. And I started running classes out of my new land in Colorado, something I always wanted mm. to do. So I didn't go back to Camp Ojibwa, but something unique happened. There's an individual by the name of Steve Tepper, I believe, who was, was always one of the staff since I was in Camp Ojibwa. Sure. He was always one of the staff members there. We got along great. And uh, he then started running uh, a camp over in Prescott, Arizona. Oh. And somehow, he found out I was out that way, and I get a call from Steve Tepper one time. <laughs> I don't know how he tracked me down, because uh, I lived in a little small little cabin, and, and, <laughs> and I didn't even have a phone. I forget how he finally got me, but Denny must have gave him some number that I was using. And Steve uh, said, hey, would you want to come down to our camp in Prescott, outside Prescott, and teach some skills there, which, which I did. Because I was in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, and that was perhaps a four or five-hour drive away, yeah. so it wasn't that bad. And uh, so I, I did that for uh, uh, a couple summers while I was out west. I spent uh, a couple weeks out there in that camp. I can't remember the name of it, but it's outside Prescott, beautiful place, and it's set up um, pretty much like Camp Ojibwa. Uh, they did have uh, uh, the whole sports thing, but they, they embraced the whole wilderness aspect, too. Yeah. So I was able to take the kids out and, on hikes, and we played, you know, captured a flag at night and taught them land <laughs> navigation and tracking skills and, and uh, survival. And uh, it was, all in all, just a great experience. Yeah. Uh, another Another thing we did over at Camp Ojibwa, getting back, a good friend of mine served as I got him a job uh, by talking to Denny. I got him a job as the maintenance man there and he still might be doing maintenance there. His name is Jim Hanson. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And, uh, so Jim and I were hunting buddies who, when I started working at camp, we started going up there and then Denny and Denny asked us, Hey, can you guys, uh, do some roofing? Yeah, we did roofing. And then uh, we roofed all the cabins and, um, after that, uh, we talked to Danny and said, Hey, you ever think you have an obstacle course or a climbing tower? And he said, Sure, that sounds great. So we built Campo Jibwa's first climbing tower wow. and repelling tower that was only like twenty-four feet high. Sure. But it was a good starter. I mean, I I know now they have like a forty foot tower there. Yeah. That's absolutely beautiful. But you know, back then, I think in the early nineties, ninety two or something, we're on a little more of a budget. Right. So we, we <laughs> built a, a little climbing tower, and we built an obstacle course through the woods. It was like a circuit course where the kids can run. Yeah. So that's that might still be there.
0: When I uh, it's most of it's gone. When I started, I started in two thousand, and when I started. Uh, it was still there, and it was it was just kind of not getting used as much anymore. Like it, was it was like Mayan ruins out there. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. The shine had started yeah. to come off of. But it was still a very popular place for uh, staff, I think, to go with uh, their lady friends after after yeah. dark. So yeah, <laughs> in the, in the, up in the tower. Yeah, and then the swamp, the little uh, rope cross over the swamp, yeah. that never got old. Kids, I mean, even after uh, the, the big wall was built and everything else, kids still loved the swamp. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the rope cross over the swamp. <laughs> <That> is, <laughs> Um, yeah, because, you know, uh, a lot of the kids don't love the overnight trips and stuff like that. But I hear over and over, especially from guys t- who were during this time, you know, there was a time period where the wilderness program was a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. We've had, I mean, we've had experienced guys with different things, like Tamir Rotman may have started while you were there. And, and he's he went on to do a lot of the um, sort of canoe trips and the overnighters in that way. Um, wasn't so much sort of survival training side of things, more of just, you know like to be in a boat all night long and sleep in a tent, that kind of a thing. Um, But there is a, uh, a different way those guys talk about that experience. I mean, it really, your impact at camp was very notable, especially to this whole sort of generation of guys who were there as campers and staff in the early 90s. So, there's a lot of love for you out there I've heard tons of rumors over the years I've heard stories you know about this ghost that that slept on the cabin three trail <laughs> yeah we, we slept in the
1: slept on the trail underneath a piece of plastic when it was one of those good summer rains and uh, that's that's where I stayed until Denny finally came over there with a flashlight one night in a in a rain slicker and said hey you could stay in the cabin if you
0: want <laughs> He <laughs> <I> said, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Most guys get room and board. You just got, you know, <laughs> a piece of plastic.
1: <laughs> but it's uh, uh, I, there, was, there were two memorable nights over at that uh, camp. I mean, we had so many of them, but two that I remember is that I worked with um, a, young, a young guy. Uh, he was a former Israeli commando, and I needed his discipline to pull off one of the greatest... Um, pranks in in camp history, and that was when I got like a hundred kids around the fire at the main uh, fire ring. Sure. Uh, the elders council fire ring, whatever. And I buried this this young man, the commando, in a bunch of leaves right next to the fire. I mean, it wasn't going to start on fire, it was, you know. And I covered it with some dirt, so it looked like it was part of the earth. And then I instructed him now. Do not move a muscle until the punchline, okay? (laughs) Like when the stars are in alignment as they are, just like uh, the night tonight. And then I pause and I would say, but we don't really believe in any of this anyway, now do we? Pause, and then that was his punchline to jump out as Old Lodgkins, the Indian who lost his uh, his head in some <laughs> some massacre 200 years ago, and the ghost is looking for his head. And we we made him up with a blanket, and so he was headless and everything. And I've never seen kids scramble. <laughs>
0: Oh my When God. he jumped out,
1: because it was right in front of him. I sure. Mean, it wasn't like he entered stage right or something. Right. It was right in front of him, right in to of And they'd been the sitting there listening ring. to the they whole time. They were sitting there. They were within two, some of them were within three feet of him, <laughs> not knowing, just listening intently to the story. And then, boom, he jumped out and threw a handful of leaves, and everyone just roared. <laughs> So, so we really had a, a good, dramatic time over there. Now, one of the more calm nights that I remember, one of the more, uh, most tranquil nights that I've used this, uh, this, this trick with other canoe trips is that we were up in Sylvania, and uh, we did a night canoe on the lake. And what we did, we got uh, all the canoes, there must have been four or five of them together, we lashed them together, and then the kids got in, and we steered out, and I was able to just use, I was in the, the stern of one canoe on the end, and I was able to turn the whole flotilla uh, in whatever direction I wanted just by by paddling. Mm. And the reason why we went out there, so we could look at the stars, and it was like a, a, a wilderness Adler planetarium, oh. where we're out in the middle of the lake, and I could say, okay, now that's, there's the Big Dipper, and I would paddle one way, and the whole flotilla would turn, to the east or to the north—that's oh, that's how you great. find the North Star. All right, there's Scorpio. There's uh, the, you know, there's Leo, and uh, we did uh, quite the constellation uh, tour that night. That's very And the cool. kids were all laying back. I've never seen them more calm in my whole life. Mm. Where they were all laying back and just staring up at the sky. I told them to bring like something to lay on. Sure. And uh, here they were, all in canoes in the middle of the lake. In, in the, in the Northwoods. And then we got back and found out that uh, a bear had gotten into uh, the back of a tent because the kid brought a whole shoebox full of brownies with them. Oh. <laughs> Contraband. Wow. <laughs> and uh, so he put it in the back of his, uh, back of the tent where he was sleeping, and somehow I remember one, one of the trips, uh, a
0: bear tried to get its way in there. Wow. But, uh, well, speaking of a bear, now wasn't there also a night where there was a bear on camp or during the day, maybe, mm-hmm. and, uh, and yep. you, you were called upon to help out with that, right? And yeah, I, I didn't
1: have to do much because I mean, any bear who has any sense at all is not going to stick around when you have a hundred screaming kids running around the whole camp. Mm. So he he got out of there real quick, but he was sighted uh, in the afternoon, I believe. Mm. And um, and it was around camp, and uh, uh, we all went looking for it, and trying to keep the little kids inside. But you know, their curiosity was big. Everyone everyone's brave because there's a hundred kids around, so they <laughs> right, figure, well, the chances are of him getting me is like ninety to one. <laughs> I just have to run faster than this Ninety-nine to guy. <laughs> one. <laughs> so so not that that takes the fear out of it, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I remember that. That was a good time. That's fun. But there's a a bunch of amazing people who went there. Then there was old, Old Martin. Sure. Martin, the maintenance man. I don't know if he's around anymore. Uh, he's
0: not. He passed away in the early 2000s. Um, yeah. I I think his last year of work, I mean, yeah. at that point it was just coffee drinking mostly, but uh, was maybe my first year. So I'd met him, but just briefly. And then yeah. uh, he was
1: a piece of work. <laughs> well, he was, yeah, he had a real gruff exterior until you got to know him. It took took me like three years for, before he warmed up to me, and I was an adult. <laughs> but... Uh, but I I remember him uh, and some of the other uh, uh, counselors. We used to have fun uh, imitating Martin because he had that distinct Northern Wisconsin uh, inflection that uh, you can't repeat. You don't hear this kind of talk in around Chicago. Like if uh, if if a kid would come around his shop, you would you would hear something like this. What the heck do you think you're doing in there? Now don't you don't you have an activity to go to? I don't know what you're doing over there, but if I I catch you anywhere near my tools, you know what's gonna happen. You bet you by golly. <laughs> so so that's that's Martin in a nutshell. Yeah, yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> uh, and also Glenn Nesper, right now. Uh, and knew Glenn? Glenn as well. Yep, Glenn and I we worked a, a lot together and. Uh, is, is he still up there? Uh, he is. He's still living up there. He doesn't uh, work with camp anymore. Um, I had never met Glenn, really. And, um, again, he left just before I, I came in as yeah. well. Um, and then they do a men's program, a men's basketball league up at camp now. Yeah. And so he'll usually come around during that weekend just to say hi and catch up with guys and stuff. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, he, loved, he
1: lived on site with his family for a while. And, uh, yeah, he was uh, the head sport guy. Anything sport was Glenn. Yeah. And uh, so he held court with, uh, with just about all that. And, um, yeah, I mean, I never knew a guy who worked out more.
0: He was constantly working yeah. out. He's uh, a, he's intense. I mean, he's still yoked up pretty, oh yeah, pretty yeah. good. Uh, uh, I guess he wrestled with... Uh, uh, as
1: a student of Denny. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, and I didn't know that either until I, we had already made plans to talk, and then during the interview, I was like, oh, well, that put all the pieces together finally because, mm-hmm. you know, how else did this guy? He, I guess he grew up in Chicago but had already been to Eagle River as a kid visiting and loved the area oh, yeah. and knew he wanted to live there eventually, so it just sort of naturally made the progression. Right. Um, well, speak, you talked about sports. Did you get roped into sort of the everyday camp activities, the sort of day-to-day normal stuff, or was it? Did you primarily just do the stuff you were there for?
1: Um, I I never got roped into the sports. I really never did. The only thing I would do is I'd check out the archery stuff Mm. because I'm I'm a bow hunter. So we'd go over uh, archery with the kids, and then uh, and we did a lot of capture the flags, and we did um, oh what other uh, we we did some other kind of games camouflage. I remember we did camouflage training one time, and uh, we had one group that had to find the other group, uh, and they all went in the lake, and after the lake, they rolled in the mud. After the mud, they rolled in the leaves, and then they all, all they had to do was lay down next to in the <laughs> forest somewhere, and, and, their, and their buddies couldn't find them. Nice. So I'm sure the kids loved that. Uh, the kids loved for the first time in their life they were told to get dirty. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. We we need to bring that one back. <laughs> yeah, they'd love it. They love it the first time, you know, because they're used to being told, hey, you know, bugs and germs and yeah. you know don't get muddy and all that, and here just have at it and have fun, knowing that you're so sneaky that people cannot. See you even when they're walking right next to you. Yeah, and and reach out and grab their ankle if you get a chance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Did you get to do uh, like? Did you go up to the grounds during the off season at all? Either for whatever I don't know anything that was any was that ever part of it? I think we went ice fishing there one time on uh,
1: Goose Lake. What was mm-hmm. it? What uh, catfish life? is the one that camps. Catfish. On. Yeah. yeah, Catfish Lake. And, uh, and then, uh, naturally, we up there in the fall time, hmm. it was a real special place. It was so cool. And Scott Dahmerhausen was still there. Sure. He'd come up, and he'd have a, a very skeleton crew. And, uh, and that's when we got a lot of work done, building the obstacle course, gotcha. the tower, yeah. putting on new roofing. And uh, that, that was a magical place in the fall. So that was... So that's when I would go up there. As gotcha. Well.
0: That's still sort of how it is now. We're um, we're actually building a physical museum at camp. Oh wow! And uh, so they uh, laid out the floor and everything in the museum before the frost. Right. Um So that was cool, and uh, I I got to go up and and even though I've been as connected, even staying through post camp all these years, I'd never really gone up in the fall until this year. Mm-hmm. And it was like a whole new world. I mean, it's like here's my memories that I've had for 15 years, and someone just threw paint all over them because all the trees are suddenly all these crazy colors that I've never seen. I've been down this road 10,000 times, and I've never seen it like this. Yeah. So it, it was incredible to be up yeah. there. The, the maples, the birch. Yeah. You, know,
1: you have the orange, red, of the maples, and the um, you have the yellow birch, and
0: then naturally you have all the green pine. So, yeah, Woke up the first morning, came outside, and there were 20 wild turkeys sitting on the steps of the office just hanging out. I mean, it was, you know, as the fog was lifting up, it was, you know, it's mm-hmm. incredible. It's beautiful up there. So Yeah, you know, we
1: call it, call for coyotes as well out in the mm. back. And you know, always here to call. And uh probably some wolves up there too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I don't know how close they are to camp, but all northern Wisconsin you'd have them. Yeah, you know, depending on where you're at. They probably seek the more remote areas, but I'm sure they're not too far. And the bear, of course.
0: We uh uh I guess we saw a bear we haven't had one at camp in a while. We had a dumpster bear maybe five years ago, but not anywhere up into the grounds at all. And then we saw one on the road heading into camp maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, the one other thing I, w- I always sort of wrap up with when I, when I talk to people about camp is uh, how do you feel like your time at camp sort of affected your life in the big, in the big picture way?
1: Oh, you know, you, you see hanging around... Uh... With uh, the young kids, you know, when you're older, and going to camp when you're older, you know, you naturally take on another objective, look at things, and uh, you kind of put yourself in the in the kids' shoes and what they want to see, and um, it's always it's it's hard for it not to be a satisfying experience, hmm. especially up at camp. I mean, it's, uh, it was it was always a fun place. It's not without its dramas. You know, sure, his, personality clashes. <laughs> but I was, I was pretty removed from that. Mm. I mean, uh, uh, I just stayed away. I would go back to sleeping under my plastic out in the woods. Right. You know, if it ever got close. Sure. Because I was, I was kind of distant in that regard, where I would, you know, see the guys, and I think a couple times maybe go out and have a, a beer with them or something. Sure. But uh, for the most part... Uh, I did my wilderness thing, and they did all their camp things.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, so we, we left it at that. But it was, um, yeah, it was an important part of my life. I got some very fond memories, of, of um, the opportunities there to work with, the kids and teach the kids. And a lot, a lot of the kids. What was unique about it is that a lot of kids normally would not have signed up for any of my classes on their own accord. Nor would their parents have put them in to something that I did. They'll enroll them in sports, but I think they really learned a lot uh, when they, any time they go out and they have to overcome their fears. I mean, there's one thing overcoming your fear of, oh, am I going to drop the softball? You know, <laughs> right. oh, am I going to get tackled real easy? Am, am I going to you know screw up and strike out? Sure, that's one set of fears at camp. The other set of fears where I would take them, are they going to survive the night? Are they going to live to talk about it? <laughs> Is a bear going to eat them? <laughs> right. You know? right. So these are some real fears of life and death. And when and it was satisfying when you would see some of the more apprehensive kids uh, learn to embrace it. And maybe they weren't that, that good at sports, but here's something they were good at. Yeah. Fetching wood, keeping the fire going, building a shelter, paddling a canoe catching a fish that kind of thing so yeah so yeah it's, it's you look back on, on all that time and and it's nothing but um, good experiences I can't remember any bad ones to be honest
0: with you that's fantastic and and you spoke to it there's a there's something there's a real special time there in the early 90s at camp Denny and his group had, had bought camp and they and, and camp was on the uprise but it was only going coming back to life because of how much of his blood, sweat, and tears he was putting into it. Right. he was recruiting, exactly. and and part of what he did once he once he started to kind of get ahead of the ball a little bit was mm-hmm. he start, he brought in a, an eclectic crew that, like you said, they're not just North Shore gym coaches. It mm-hmm. was Tamir, who is the Israeli commander. Yeah, it's Tamir. About. Yeah, yeah Tamir. Glenn Crawford, yourself, yeah, yeah. Glenn Nesper, to round out the experience of camp to mm-hmm. give it, and, and so. He could have just said, "Let's we're going to play softball all day, and that'll be what camp is." But he, but camp is bigger than that, and he wanted to make sure the kids were having a bigger experience than mm-hmm. that. And you were a part of that crew, and and I will tell you, there's not a kid who was there during that time that doesn't appreciate what that was. I've heard it over and over. I mean, I'm I'm here today having this interview because your name was spoken so much. They're like, "You got to get this guy. You got to talk to him." <laughs> so that's what it was. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. No, thank
1: you for looking me up. You made my day. Perfect. This is great.
0: Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Tom Dorsch right there. Uh, fantastic stories. Amazing life. Uh, a couple of things to add to what he had to say. Number one, if you heard some noises in the background during an interview, it's because I was interviewing Tom where he runs a, a shooting range. A place. It's lovely. You can go and you can you can pay either to, to shoot a certain type of gun or you can just pay by the hour and shoot all the guns you want, all kinds of different guns. So you can find him out in uh, Crystal Lake doing that. Also, uh even though he was not crass enough to do this, I will be on his behalf. Tom wrote a few books. And so if you want to check those out, go to awareangelsdarebooks.com. And I put a link on the podcast site as well. You'll be able to click through and check that out, but uh, check out his books. And if they appeal to you, buy a copy it doesn't hurt. You know, it's hard to write. And uh, when someone does that kind of thing, you should support them. So check that out. Tom Dorsch. Thanks again. It was incredible. Uh, that's it for this week. Next week, big news, big stuff coming at you. Stay tuned. Cigar Time.